are listening to the Jersey Guys Podcast, the show that talks about hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, and West Coast music. In-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap, so settle in and turn it up. Now, here are your hosts, Tom and Mark. Hey everybody, this is Mark Ballow from the Jersey Guys Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Tom Coyne, as always. Today we've got special guest John Mako from the band Fifth Angel. Welcome, John. Hey guys, uh, pleasure to be on the show. Yes, nice thank you. you. John. So, I guess let's get right into it, and uh, we'll start talking about Fifth Angel, and we're going to go through the whole history of the band, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Great. Um, well, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to start off um, a question, and, and I know, you know, going back to the debut Fifth Angel album, uh, I know you didn't actually play on the first album, you came into the band shortly thereafter. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you, you know, joined the band and, and got involved with the band? Sure. Um, well, you know, the uh, the first record was actually released on Mike Varney's label, Shrapnel, and uh you know, and I was not in the band at that time. Um, and um, and then somehow, and I'm not quite sure, um, some people from Epic uh, became interested in the band. And um, they basically bought, you know, the, uh, the rights from Mike and uh, re-released that first album. Um, and that's about the time that I joined. So I kind of joined, I kind of came on board like halfway through the negotiations um, when the band was getting signed to uh, Epic CBS Records. And, um, you know, it was just, I think it was just kind of a a fluke. I was just uh, at the right time, at the right place. I had just, um, well, I had recently moved to seattle from uh, los angeles i'm I'm originally from los angeles area and um uh, a friend of mine that was working in a music store told me about he's like hey there's this you know this band that i know the guys and they're getting signed to epic records and they're looking for a bass player but they didn't have they never actually had a um, a real bass player when they made that first record. So, uh, you know, I got in contact with one of the guys in the band, which was uh, Ed Archer, and, you know, I just sent him, you know, a little promo package. And uh, they had me come out and audition. And uh, by <laughs> stroke of luck, um, you know, I got the gig. And that, I, that, that's kind of the short and simple now uh, you mentioned that you know the first album came out actually was released in in 1986 on shrapnel records and then Correct. the band eventually ended up you know signing with epic uh, cbs and in 1988 they re-released the the first album what was the what was the story behind why they wanted to do that oh um i'm not sure to be honest boy um if if i had to guess i think it's because you know they they thought it was a you know, a great record, which of course it was. And I don't think that they felt like they got that, that un, under Mike's um, label, that, that the album got the proper distribution or maybe marketing. 
Um, so they kind of felt by, uh, you know, I think they remastered it and, you know, and then we, you know, there was new artwork and they wanted to kind of push that record, you know, to maybe just get a little more life while we were working on what would be the second record. Um, I, I think that that's the reason why, but I, I can't be a hundred percent sure. Okay. Well, I, I kind of think John, from what I had heard at the time, uh, that there, the, the mix, the original mix that was on the shrapnel vinyl and what, and what came out on the major label, there was a little bit of a, a difference in, in the mix of, of the two albums. Uh, I, you know, I don't think, um, I mean, that, that, that probably sounds right, because I mean, if you listen to the original Shrapnel recording, it, it's not great. Right. I have, um, I have both of them, and yeah, there is a difference. Not, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I don't think it was remixed. I think it was only remastered. Remastered, but, okay. But don't quote me on that. Yeah, no, that's what I thought, too. And I, I, yeah. I, in fact, I was just talking with Mark before we went on the air. I, I actually heard the band for the first time on a, on a local college radio station in, in our area in 1985. Uh -huh. And it was before the record came out because I went to my friend who owned a record store at the time and it was bugging him about this Fifth Angel. And he was like, it doesn't appear on any list. It's not out. And it, it wasn't out at the time. But original mix of it or, or mastering of it, you, if you list, it's not really explicit, but if you listen to it, there is a difference between between the two it's 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 somewhat noticeable yeah i would definitely agree so going back to that record i and i i know that you were were not the one that played on it but you you certainly were involved in it this was a band at the time that all the way in brooklyn new york i could tell you there was a big buzz on there was a lot of people that it, it took by surprise because myself personally there were a you, you guys were a band uh, on this record and the second record that really didn't sound like anybody else, which in, in an era of the mid to later 80s, there were a lot of bands that sounded like Judas Priest, Iron Maiden. Uh, there were a lot of bands by then that sounded like Queensryche, but Fifth Angel always sounded totally different. I think it was yeah. a combination of the songwriting and Ted Pilot's vocals, which at the time nobody sounded like him. And to this day, nobody sounds like him. I know. <laughs> and I know. it, it kind of sets you guys apart. And I think it's really what has added to the mystique of the band all these years is because the songwriting, I, I just redigested the second album, which I've heard a million times, but I wanted to listen to it again this past weekend. And the songwriting is, is, is not only so strong, but it, it, it's not cliched. It doesn't have any of the, the late 80s cliches. And it, between that and, and, and Pilot's vocals, it kind of really set the band apart from almost every band of its time. Would you agree? I, I would. And I, and I think that that's why I still personally really enjoy both those records, um, especially the first album, but, you know, I, like I still am not I still don't get tired of listening to it or playing those songs. Right. And I know and I, I'll be real honest. Um, a lot of people probably be surprised to hear this. I really don't like 80s music or 80s metal all that much. You know, like I don't listen to it now. I mean, I listen to more modern um, metal, but 
when it comes to Fifth Angel, I, 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 I still, still love all of those songs from those two records. And yeah, you're right. I, yeah, we don't really sound, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's some elements, you know, here and there, um, of the style, you know, from the time, but it's definitely identifiable. Like when you hear a Fifth Angel song, it's, a fifth angel song. Exactly. You're not going, well, is that Motley Crue or is that Kicks or, hmm. you know, one of those, you know, one of those other bands not knocking them, you know, where it's, you know, you're not quite sure. Um, but it's definitely um, a very distinct sound. And um, it's, yeah, it's a combination of Ted's voice uh, and the songwriting um, and and just kind of the input, you know, from, you know, the, the musicians that are, you know, that contribute to those records. Well, you had two things going for you. And this is for somebody that, as Mark could attest to, has probably knows every band from that era going forward. You had two things going for you. You had two albums that didn't contain one cringeworthy song. <laughs> the 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 writing was exemplary and and uh, beyond reproach of everybody else at the time in my opinion and you had a singer who was not only good there were a lot of good singers at that time but you had a singer that nobody mm-hmm. sounded like which is a great right. thing to go forward with now talking Absolutely. about the the this the first album and you you know Tom mentioned and and you said that you know there re- didn't really sound like anybody else but at, from a stand uh, a standpoint of like say songwriting, and I know that you weren't involved in that maybe in the beginning. But who do you you know who would you compare Fifth Angel to as far as being influenced by sound wise at the time? Well, I, I, uh, I can and I can only repeat like what what the other guys said. You know, were the were the influences, and I and I would say probably like Dio, Iron Maiden. I don't know. I don't know about Judas Priest, but I would say at least those two bands is, is what I noticed. Like when I first joined the band, you know, right. because they'd be like, you know, you know, play, you know, like on the bass, on the bass stuff, it'd be like, you know, uh, you know, play like Steve, Steve Harris, you know, or you know, we really like the way Steve Harris plays, and so yeah, I, I, it was kind of those. Those were kind of the main influences. Um, that I can recall. And I, and I think James Bird was very big into Yuli John Roth from the early Scorpion stuff. He, well, I don't know about that, but he was definitely a, a, an Ingve. Ingve, and I think Blackmore yeah. too, he was it too. Yeah, he was, uh, James was really influenced with Ingve. Matter of fact, I think they're like buddies. Um, now, Kendall, um, you know, who did all the lead work on Time Will Tell, he's a, He's definitely, you know, well, no, I'm thinking, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of Michael Shanker. Ken, Kendall was really influenced with Michael Shanker, but yeah, I, I'm, I think you're right. Uh, James is, yeah, Yuli and, um, and Ingve, well, you know, basically that, the neoclassical. The neoclassical, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. James was a, was a great player. At, at that time in 85, there weren't that many USA players maybe maybe steve vi was on that level there was most of the guys that had that real high-end technique were were european guys and james was a guy that came out of nowhere and got a lot of people's attention with his technique yeah well and and more importantly than 
than the technique. It was it was what he composed on those leads, and right. that that's that's really, I think that's the the biggest thing that's missing in today's world is, um, I mean, you got, I mean, everybody now can play like Eddie Van Halen and just and right. play all this, you know, shredding stuff. But if you, if you, you know, but they all sound the same and there, there, there's no, you know, there's no composure, you know, to, to the, the phrasing. Yes, absolutely. The phrasing. And, and, and that's what James was really good. Like, you know, you listen to his leads on that first record and you, you know, it's, it's like a little mini composition. Yes. They're very and, melodic. And, and, uh, he played for the song. Played for the song. He, you know, even though there was a lot of technical prowess, he, it's, it's, it's the, those leads like, like moved you through the course of the song. Right. Um, you know, and, that is really an art form that's that's very difficult to find. It, it, it uh, is. Nowadays. It is, and it's very lost in today's day and age because yep. you know we, me, and Mark both follow a lot of the the classic metal bands that are still around, and a lot of the new ones. And you're right, the, the, the shred fest has thirty, forty years after the fact become you know commonplace. You know, it's it's not as doesn't grab you by the throat the way it did, but now it's could you play? Could you come up with a melody or something a, a hook and right. most of these guys can't it's just no. you know playing a thousand notes a minute right and 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 i'm so tired of it i'm just like next i, I am too you know I, mean? I am no, too I don't, want, I don't even want to listen to it you know on you know on facebook that that's you know there's this guy this guy you know and it's like and he's sitting in his in his room and he, right. and he starts going right right and that's what it starts to sound like after a while yeah i just i just turn it off i'm like i don't want to hear it like let me actually hear a solo that like says something and and has melody um and has a great choice of notes and phrasing that's what makes it you know a great lead solo well, Richie Blackmore always said it was all about the song. Without the song, it was... And I think what made uh, Bird such a great player is that he was into the, the Shanker and, and the Yuli John Roth, the Richie Blackmore guys that played like that for the song, played with bands that had great songs, great singers, and great hooks. And another band from Seattle... That was like that. If 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 you've ever read up or or listened to any of the interviews, Queensrÿche at the beginning also were were mm-hmm. bands that were a band that were very influenced by the European bands, not the American bands. Right, and of course, you know they you know their music um, was was all very melodic. Exactly. Um, you know, so I you know both both of the bands. I mean. I mean, you know, we, you know, we, we, we knew all those guys, you know, we were, we were friends with them. Um, and especially, uh, Ken and, and Ted and Ed, um, you know, they, they went, you know, they grew up with those guys in the Seattle Bellevue area. You know, they all knew each other. They were all in, you know, garage bands, you know, and, and, and all that stuff. So they all had, you know, the, you know, the same kind of influence, Right. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about was um, moving on to the second album. Uh, and I think you may have answered this a minute ago, but you talked about Kendall uh, doing the leads on the second album. And you guys covered uh, Lights Out by the band UFO. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. I obviously you mentioned a minute ago about Kendall being influenced by Michael Schenker. Is, is that the reason that you guys covered that song? 
No, I think I just think that for whatever reason we just we just picked that song. Okay. But no, it, it wasn't. It wasn't because oh, you know, hey, we can showcase, you know, Kendall. Yeah, it wasn't like that. Okay. I mean, it's it's actually it's a, a pretty cool song to do because you really don't hear a lot of bands cover that song as as much as UFO is. It's a very influential band. You don't really hear that on on people covering their songs. And it's a great version. I mean, I, I, I you know, I listen to it and it's like, man, this is a great version. It really is. Yeah. It, it is again because of Pilot's vocals. Because um, it was it was cool to hear him sing it because it didn't. Mm-hmm. It didn't sound like the typical clone UFO cover, right? And then we put like a mod, a key change in it, which which yes. the original doesn't do, exactly. you know, to spice it up. But right. we, you know, we use that song to, um, you know, close close our our live shows, you know, and it uh, and it's just a great, you know, um, encore song. You kind of fifth angeled. UFO song, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, we, 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 yeah, we do that with everything. <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask you, how did you get Kendall? How, how did you recruit him? Because I, I, I know James left, and um, there's a, you know, I, I'm actually pretty good friends with James off of uh, Facebook, and I know there's a lot of you know stuff out there, reasons why he left. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I don't want to belabor that, uh, but I, I, what I really wanted to know more, because I, I don't know, is how did you recruit uh, Kendall? So after uh, James had, had left the band, um, we had gotten a recommendation for Kendall by one of our Seattle friends, Kelly Gray, and, uh, you know, Kelly is a, uh, you know, local, you know, he's a, you know, producer and, you know, he played with, um, with, with Queensryche, right. um, and on that kind of thing. But anyway, so Ken, yeah, uh, Kendall and Kelly were really good friends. So, so Kelly's like, I, uh, he's like, oh, you got, you gotta go check out Kendall. You know, he's, he's, he's the guy. So, uh, I actually went out to Kendall's house and, you know, sat down with him and he played for me. And I was like, damn, this guy's good. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, he's real good. Um, you know, I, so I think I, whatever I gave him, you know, like, you know, Hey, like learn these three or four songs. And, uh, we had him come out and, um, you know, I mean, he just, he just blew us away. So it was pretty obvious choice. You know, we had, you know, we had auditioned a couple other guys, um, but he was clearly just, you know, the best. Uh, he was a find. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I was, you know, we had already heard, you know, my friends uh, and, and myself at the time that James was there, out and it kind of was like, oh, my God, you know, is this the end of the what that band was? And there was no letdown uh, as far as I'm concerned. Now, I mean, I'll be totally honest with you. I was somebody at the time that was on the pulse of this stuff. And there were people that felt that the album was more commercial or too commercial compared to the first album. Mm-hmm. Which I, I guess would... in some respects it is. But I looked at it more as being better produced and a little bit more, you know, a step up with the time of 1989 compared to 1985. I would agree. Um, it, it's definitely a more commercial, you know, vibe um, on on some of the tracks. Um, some of that was, like you said, it, well, some of it was just kind of, you know, the, you know, at that point, 
you know, you know, you got bands like Scorpions and White Snake, you know, that are, you know, selling platinum. Um, and of course, you know, the record label, that's what they wanted. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and that was the direction that they felt, you know, would, would you know, would, would produce, you know, record sales. Um, so I, I think we were a little, we were, you know, somewhat influenced by that whole uh, environment. You know, honestly, I, I, I wish that we would have kind of just stuck to our guns and, 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 and done the second record more like the first album. But, you know, it is what it is. It's still a great album. And, you know, you have a lot of people that, that like that album better than the first album. But I think the majority of people like that first album better. Um, but in regards to the two guitar players, you know, they, you know they, it's not like apples for apples. You know, they're just two totally different animals, you know, two totally different players. And um, so I, I think... Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a great, um, you know, it's a great thing where you, where you, where, you know, that we were able to share the talent of these two different types of players. And, right. and not skip a beat in, in terms of quality. Cause again, what you had right. going for you was the great strong writing, songwriting. Right. No, there was on that second album. Cause I just re-listened to it from beginning to end on Sunday afternoon. There's not one song that's a filler on it not one and again with with pilots vocals and a different guitar player with a somewhat different style but it still works it definitely worked definitely worked yeah yeah definitely i wanted to ask you uh fifth angel uh i heard a, or read a story that that you guys were almost going to tour with ozzy in in 1989 for the second album but it, it never quite happened uh did the band actually do a lot of touring outside of the northwest uh pacific mm-hmm. northwest no 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 it's just uh, you know uh, for whatever reason just it, that always like fell through um we were and i'm not sure about uh, with Ozzy, but I believe that the, that they were that we were going to go on a um, on a leg with I I want to say Scorpions maybe okay. or maybe Accept. Uh, I mean it was, but it was you know it was really really good, um, and it fell through for whatever reason. I don't even remember what it why it fell through. Um, so there, yeah, I don't I don't know. That that's always been a uh, you know a real sore spot at least for me that that the band never really was able to get out there um, and and tour like 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 we should have um, and then of course you know the uh, you know the whole you know the whole industry you know basically flipped yeah the whole change the, in know, the scene and the sound yeah you yeah. know in the early nineties you know when when you know. When Nirvana came out, you know, that was it. <laughs> you must have seen that coming, being a, a Seattle-based band, right? No, not re- no, I no. didn't. I wow. didn't know. I was blindsided because, because honestly, um, at that time, you know, that you know these these quote unquote grunge bands, they, uh, from our standpoint, they were like glorified garage band musicians like they were like garage bands yeah that's um, a perfect description I, I, didn't, I didn't get it you know um which is really too bad um but i i'm thinking you know these, these are like you know crappy 
garage bands, you know, and, you know, what are, you know, they're never going to go anywhere. Well, of course, yeah. I was proven uh, wrong. So, no, I, I, I was, I think all of us that kind of, you know, came up in, in, in the mid, mid-80s were really kind of shocked from that. Right. Unfortunately, you got taken down by bands that really weren't anything like your band. It was just too much of the the bubblegum pop uh, makeup spandex bands, I think, that record companies felt the best way to come up with the next big thing is to go completely away from that, which unfortunately your band, uh, as a lot of other guys, f- took the brunt of it for no good reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think it was, and, and that, that, I don't think that that was anything that was actually planned by the record companies. I, I think that, that this underground, uh, mm-hmm. scene that was, you know, coming up from Seattle got their attention. And, and, and they, and I think that they probably recognized that in the increased sales for all these, all these quote unquote indie labels, you know, when, you know, like when those labels first started, you know, they're selling 500 copies, you right. know, yeah. 800 copies. Well, all of a sudden those started turning into much larger figures. And I think that that probably grabbed the attention of, you know, some of the uh, larger companies and like, Hey, something's going on here. And um, and then when uh, Nirvana made that record, um, bam, it just blew up. So so at that point, they're like, ah, oh, well, well, we'll dump, you know, we'll dump all this other stuff, and you know, they're they're gonna hop on, you know, whatever the latest uh, bandwagon is. So I don't know. I, sure. I did want to talk to you on the second album about certain songs and what the the writing process was. Again, for the strength of this album, to look at songs like Wait For Me and Angel of Mercy, which were the seventh and eighth tracks on the record, uh-huh. um, it, 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 it's it's incredible. When you guys went in and started writing this record, how did that all, how did these songs all come about? How did these masterpieces all come about? Um, well, t- t- you know, of course, back in those days, um, you know, everything was done kind of face to face, you know, because we didn't have... <laughs> you know, computers. Um, but basically, I mean, it was kind of the same process that happened with the first album. So on the first album, uh, Ted, Ed and James, they'd all get together at somebody's house, you know, with like an acoustic guitar, um, and, you know, and a tape recorder and, and just start, you know, going through ideas. And the, um, the process was um, very similar on the second record. I was involved a little bit. Now, like you said, the song "Wait for Me." I wrote that chorus, that chorus section. Right, you have the, you have writing credits on it. Uh, but but it was basically the same. It was kind of the same thing, you know. Uh, you know, it, uh, Ted. You know, Ted and Ed would would get together um, over at Ted's house and and um, just kind of go through just kind of start going through ideas i would i would join some of those sessions but not all of them you know and that's that's basic you know 
Ed would come up with a uh, a guitar riff or something, and then sit down with Ted, and Ted would you know you know sing a melody uh-huh. or something, and so it was all very uh, organic, I guess would be the the the, the term, um, and uh, that that that's really, and and then we would and then we would you know get together and kind of rehearse the ideas and and um, you know kind of firm parts up and, and that kind of thing and then that was it and then just go into the studio now where was the uh the, the second album was recorded in new york right uh it was a little a little over everywhere um so drums were recorded in manhattan um at the studio that i i, I think it was called metro i don't know it's, i don't think it's not even there anymore um that was a lot of fun um they were recorded there then, then most of all the other tracks were recorded in Stamford, Connecticut, at the Carriage House. Um, you know, we just ba- we basically just lived there for about three weeks, and then and then we did then we did a little bit of like touch up stuff like back in Seattle. Um, you know, keyboards. I actually played all the keyboards on on the Time Will Tell record. Um, and then it was, um, and it was mixed and mastered in uh, Toronto. Now, what was it like working with Terry Brown on that album as a uh, for the uh, producer? <laughs> he was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I could talk for hours about all kinds of stories, um, but he was, uh, he was a character. But he, you know, but, but he uh i mean he but he had certain ways of doing things now now the first record uh, you know the that record was was made with terry date right and um but you know i and i don't know if you guys know this but you know that first record that was terry date's first record that he produced that i didn't that know. started well, yeah. his career but but on the you know now on the album it says produced by Terry Day but but to be honest it was more co-produced uh, Ted and Ed um, and Ken I also and Ken also I believe they they produced it with Terry um, so there's a lot of the a lot of the production and all that influence is actually from the band members and not you know Terry. Um, but so when on the second record, when we worked with Terry Brown, he didn't really relinquish that kind of control <laughs> right. to the band members. He was pretty firm about it, you know, and there, I, you know, there was a little bit of head butting on some things. But in general, um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, we, we just had a lot of fun. I mean, I just. I can still re- I can still hear his voice, you know, with that English accent, you know, <laughs> you know, and he'd be, you know, he just he'd come up with the funniest shit, and <laughs> um, and then when we were uh, working in Manhattan, he had Max Norman um, would come into the studio, and Max was helping Terry with some computer stuff um, when we were doing the basics. Uh, I remember. <laughs> I remember there was, uh, we, you know, we had this drum set that we used. It was, it was, uh, actually it was Eric, one of Eric Carr's drums kits, you know, with the big, uh, you know, kick drums that were really oh, wow. long. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. um, 
and you know, and there was all all these mics and everything. And I don't know, there was one of one of the stage hands or something that was kind of going out there. And and Terry Brown, he's like, he's like, what's he doing? Oh my God, he. I can't believe it. He's touching the overheads. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. Hey, what is he doing? It was just funny. And then we, you know, we, we, you know, we had like 12 hour days, you know, in, in the studio there. And, and then, and then we go next door, you know, to a, there was a little pub next door and with Max and, and Terry. And, and then we, we, we you know, we'd hear all these story, you know, about, uh, you know, when Terry was working with Rush and then Max would he would tell us stories about when he first started doing live audio engineering. He worked for ACDC and he was telling us stories about that. It was just it was really fun. Wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's great. That sounds, sounds like some great stories. Yeah. <laughs> now, unfortunately, I mean, the second album comes out and you say the scene changes. Um, the band gets gets dropped from by Epic uh, Records. Right? I know. And then yeah, we made this great record and it was going up in the metal charts. And and then it's just uh, it's just like, you know, pulling the rug from out of your underneath your feet. It was. Uh, yeah, it was. So, again, it was, you know, it was bad timing. If we had released that album, let's say two years earlier, I think that would have I think everything that would have changed everything. I think we would have. The band would have gotten, you know, the shot that it deserved, but it was just bad timing. It was, you know, it was released at the end of '89, right? Yeah. And um, and then 1990, you know, boom, you know, that's um, Nirvana. I think like six months later, Nirvana, re, you know, releases "Smell Like Teen Spirit," and yeah. that's all it took. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was so, awful. Now, now, basically, so I guess at that point, I mean, did everybody just go their separate ways? And well, we kind of, well, you know, we, we we tried to make a little bit of a go of it, and it failed, and and then everybody, yeah, just basically gave up and went their separate ways. Yeah. So now, like twenty years go by, right? And uh, mm -hmm. two thousand ten comes along, and and you guys get an offer to play a, a festival in. Europe, right? How did that all yeah. come about? Well, I in in the summer of 2009, I received, you know, I was living, I had moved from Seattle to Florida, and I'd been living here in Florida, which is where I'm still at. And um, one day I get a call from, you know, this this guy in Germany, and he says, "Well, I'm a, my name is Oliver, and I'm a, a promoter." of this uh, festival that we have every year called Keep It True. And, um, you know, the festival has bands, you know, old school metal bands, and we would like to have Fifth Angel play next year and headline. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, I, I, I said, I don't think anybody's interested in this band. It, you know, nowadays he goes, Oh, you'd be surprised. Um, so that, so, uh, you know, what, you know, what am I going to, you know, what am I going to say? I'm like, well, okay. You know, I, I still talk to a couple of the guys once in a while, but I don't know. So anyway, I just, I told him, Hey, uh, thanks for calling. Uh, check back with me in a couple of weeks. I'll try to get a hold of the guys and, and see if that's something they'd be in, interested in. So yeah, that's how that whole thing um, came about. 
Now, who was uh, who was involved with the band at that point when you put it back together to play that show? Um, we well, originally Ted was going to do it, Kendall, Ed, and myself. So that would have been, uh, um, you know, four of the original four out of the five. Right. Uh, when I talked to Ken about it, he, he just he just wasn't interested. He was just like flat out not interested uh, for whatever reason. So we, we had another drummer, Jeff McCormick, local Seattle guy that said he, he would do it. So we, so that was the lineup, you know, let's say, you know, we decided that, you know, we told the guy that, you know, we would do the festival in, um, you know, that, that fall or at the end of summer, whenever it was. Right. And, uh, everybody, you know, said everybody committed to doing it. So we kind of, uh, agreed that at the beginning of 2010, like in January, we would start rehearsing and we would make arrangements, you know, to, uh, to make that happen. Um, and then when it, when it came to that time, uh, Ted changed his mind and said, no, I, I I'm not going to do it. So um, we wound up, which is a long story, but, you know, we wound up... Um, you know, hiring another guy and he didn't work out. And then kind of at the last minute, we got this other guy named Peter who was in, who was, who had done some shows with the band Air Apparent. Um, okay. and, and Jeff McCormick, the drummer was also, um, in Air Apparent and Jeff recommended that we get Peter. So kind of at the last minute, we, you know, we grabbed Peter and then we went and played that festival with, with that lineup. So, you know, only, so it was only the three of the, out of the five original. Right. Was there any seriousness on, on the part of Ted to re I mean, everybody, it's well documented that he's a dentist. I'm not going to get into that, but it, it was there any seriousness as to that he was really going to, break away from that and 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 do an overseas gig i know we thought he was he, he said he had committed so we thought he was gonna okay. do it and yeah so we were um we were very disappointed to say the least when he said that you know he goes oh, i just can't do it so that yeah that was definitely kind of a blow but you know we you know we still went over there and we pulled it off know how great we were but we pulled it off Enough to where, you know, we got invited back in 2017. Now, was there talk uh, at any point? I mean, after that 2010 show, did it, did it re-energize the, the members that were, were there to say, hey, maybe let's uh, let's talk about doing some new material? Yeah, it, it did. And, and, and we we kind of we kind of spent, a, you know, um, you know, a couple, two, three years afterwards, um, you know, trying to make that happen. And, you know, it, it just failed every time. We, we just couldn't seem to, we just couldn't seem to make it work. So it, things really, so it was really, um, what, what then kind of got things going back again was when Ken Mary, his interests sparked and, and Ken, you know, called Ed and myself and, and he was like, Hey, you know what? I'd really like to, you know, try to make this work again. You know, let's 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 give this a shot. So that is really what got the ball going. And then when we went back 
to uh, Germany and we played that festival, that Keep It True festival again. And, and we were much better um, that second time. We are, you know, we were much better prepared. And uh, it, and that was and that performance was enough to to get interest um, from Nuclear Blast. OK. Um, you know, and and uh, after that performance, um, you know, I, I was backstage and then uh, Yop Walkmaker uh, for, um, he's the head of A&R for Nuclear Blast, came back and, and started talking to me. He was like, hey, that was that was a fantastic show. He And he said, I've been a big fan of the band for 20 years. And he handed me his card and he said, hey, let's do a record. And we, uh, and, you know, I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah, sure. Now, who was involved? Uh, who was in the band at that period when you guys played? Okay, there? so at that time, it was it was um, you know myself, Ed, Ken, and Kendall. And, Ke- and Kendall sang at that gig. No, Peter did. Okay. Yeah, Peter sang at that gig the second time as well. But yeah, so that that's that's after that 2017 show. That's when when the ball really started to roll again. Now, how, what what changed from the 2017 lineup that ultimately ended up recording the new album, The Third Secret? How, how did that? How did the, the lineup evolve well, from there? Okay, well, um, so after the 2017 show, you know, we you know we went home, and um, you know, and we started working on some demos. Um, now. But what we kind of discovered with with Peter is, you know, Peter's really good live. But but when when we recorded some of these songs with Peter, his voice um, didn't translate. It, it, it's, just, it's like his voice just didn't match the music, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. OK, sure. And it's it, you know what I mean? And that, you know, that's the weird thing about the human voice is that, you know, you got, you know, the human voice sounds, you know, one way live and it could sound completely different recorded and vice versa. And it's it, it's not always the same. And obviously the voice has to match the music mm-hmm. and it you know the feedback you know that we were getting was just this just doesn't sound like fifth angel so that's when we decided to you know uh you know ken ken's like well you know what he goes you know kendall's a really damn good singer hmm. what you know let's let's give kendall a shot you know if, if he's up to it so you know we asked kendall he's like sure so we recorded three songs, you know, we did three demos with Kendall singing and sent that to uh, Nuclear Blast and they signed this off of those three three demos. Which his voice has a lot of Dio overtones yeah. to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is never a bad thing. No. No. It's not Ted Pilot, but, you know, we're, you know, you know we, we've, I've spent... You know, or we, the band, we, you know, we have spent, you know, so much time looking for a Ted pilot, quote unquote, clone. And it, it's just, we, we come it's, up empty handed. It's, it, it, and it's, it's, it's no shortcoming to all of you guys from James Bird right to the present lineup. 
it's the little thing that really did set the band apart was his vocal mm-hmm. phrasing and the sound of his voice because nobody sounded like him. Right, yeah. And it wasn't anything like falsetto. Like it was just, he was a guy that didn't sing in crazy he ranges. Just, right. He just, just had, a a, right, he had a, a super cool tone and it happened to be nobody sounds like him. Right. And it's just one of those weird things. So it, it's, it's really was a smart move on your your band's part to go the route of not even trying to get a clone. And if you had a guy that would sound it like Dio, nobody's ever been accused of that being a bad thing. Right. And I think the third secret, you know, it's it's a great album too. You know, now whether it's I, you know, whether it's as good as those first two albums, what you know, that's that's debatable. But I think it stands. You know, um, it, it stands. It definitely it stands. stands with them. Yeah, and it's a great album. You know, I think that there's probably a few songs on there that are, that are, you know, that I, that are fillers or whatever. But I would say the majority of of the songs on that record are very good. And there's some great songs. The, the um, song for me that when I listened to the record the first time really brought back the sound of the second record is We Will Rise. Yeah. <laughs> that sounded like a track on the second record. And that's yeah. when I heard that song, I was like, oh boy, these guys are back because yeah. that song had the whole vibe of uh, right. Time Will Tell. And that was a song that was written by Ed Archer. But, uh, you know, um, going off of, of the question you asked me earlier about the lineup change, so so one, you know one of the other um, issues that we had right when we you know when we were um, you know working on the, the third secret is that Ed um, because of uh, you know personal uh, issues had to take a hiatus, and so you know that that was also a little bit of a you know, a crippling blow. So that just really left the three of us to make this whole record. Mm. Um, uh, Ken and mainly Ken and Kendall kind of becoming like the new songwriting partner, you know, and, you know, and they did very well, but it, it is a little bit of a, um, a departure, you know, from, you know, those, those other two albums, but, you know, it, it is what it is. You can't, you know, you can't recreate the past. No, um, and it's it's 30 you know, years later. No, and, I don't think anybody right, right. wants to hear And that's that. one of the great things is when you capture magic, that's what makes it magic. You can never go back and do it all over again. No. And both of those albums were, were magical albums, in my opinion, of that era. And all these years later, it's it's almost like chase, chasing fool's gold to say we're going to do, you know, an exact part three of that, especially with the, the lead singer out of the picture. So you almost have to develop your own identity going forward, yet holding some of those characteristics of what made Fifth Angel Fifth Angel. Correct. And and, and that's what we we strived to do on on that record. And I, I think we did it to a certain, you know, certain degree. The album went over really well. I mean, uh, I, I was plugged into virtually everybody with this record, and people liked it. I, I liked it a lot. Uh, I, I, I honestly, I, it exceeded my expectations because you know, like, there's been so Good. many bands from that era 
that have come back over the years and nine out of ten times it's it's a, it's a huge letdown and i didn't know what to expect especially with the guitar player singing now and it way exceeded my expectations of what i thought i i well that's good i'm, yeah. I'm glad to hear that yeah it it it, it it fits in very snugly after you know the the first two records. It, it's to me, it's a it's a progression from those in the, in the sense that you know the band has changed a bit and the times have changed a bit, and uh, it, it's a, it's a terrific record. Yeah, well, thanks. I appreciate that. I'm proud of it, definitely. So that leads us to one thing that I don't know anything about. You, this this is one thing where it's uh, a longtime fan that you could. Help me out. What happened with Kendall? Why is he not involved anymore? Um, he had some. Well, he quit. Uh, I, I don't, you know, and there and there really isn't even any good reason, but um, that you know, that in my mind, but he um, he just uh, had some disagreements about how things were being run in the band, you know. Um, it's uh, it's really a shame because we would love to have him still in the band because he is so talented. The guy is uh, he's just amazing. He's um, an incredible guitar player. He's a great songwriter, and I mean, and he can sing. Yeah. And he's a great singer. Um, and he's a great guy. But um, you know, he's got you know his kind of view of how things should be and. It wasn't um, lining up with what, you know, how we were, you know, conducting business. Um, I guess I could say it that way. Okay. That's fair enough. So he, he just said, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah. Well, talk a little bit about the, uh, the third secret, the, the title, and, and also the, the artwork on the, the cover of the album. Tell yeah, Because cool, a lot of people probably that? don't. Yeah, it's great. I mean, a lot of people probably don't know what that even is. Um, okay, so so the third secret, this was kind of, it was actually kind of Ken's idea. So the third secret um, is actually um, based off of uh, a, a true story. Um, uh, uh, it's the story of Fatima and you know or the lady of fatima i don't know do you guys know that story uh a little bit and i, I read about okay. it just a little bit to familiarize right. myself it's, but it's, it's uh from you know, portugal it's a, it's, right it's, it's yeah it's i mean according to the catholic church it's a you know documented you know miracle um so basically the story is um you know three children uh, in Portugal, were visited by, you know, the the Virgin Mary, you know, her her ghost or whatever, and um, she believed in that sort of thing. Right. And um, you know, and these these three children, you know, would would experience, um, you know, they they go out and she would talk to them and stuff like that, and. Um, so that that that's what kind of inspired uh, that song, and um, in the description. So and 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 I'm trying to re, I'm trying to think of it because you can actually look it up. Like if you you know if you go like on Wikipedia, right? And you and you look up. Okay, okay. So yeah, the story is is that is that the that the Virgin Mary is that she basically uh, reveals 
these three secrets, which are kind of like, you know, prophecy type of things. Right. And each one has its own thing. So, and you can look it up. So if you look up the third secret of, of Fatima, so there's a description on the third. So she reveals that on this third secret that, um, that there, and it's a description and that's what the artwork is from. So the description is that there is uh, an angel, you know, that's, you know, with that's hovering above the ground and he has a sword and, and then she is next to him and beneath them is basically like the, the pits of hell. And then behind them is, you know, like a, a parade of of martyrs going up a hill and and like they all get slaughtered and i mean it's it's pretty graphic but but the artwork is from that description okay and we basically um so we found uh, well actually um one of the guys at nuclear blast um when we were looking at different artists he found this artist. Uh, we were going to have this one guy, and then he fell through. And then, and then one of the uh, production uh, managers there said, "Hey, um, I know this uh, Czechoslovak young Czechoslovakian artist. And her name is Zofia." And um, so we got in contact with Zofia, and we sent her um, a, a description. Um, you know, I think basically just kind of cut and pasted from that description and we're what we want something like that and then like literally she came back with that type of artwork and we we're like okay yeah she's she's got it you know and then we just kind of tweaked everything you know so in the description you know there's you know there's a star that falls from heaven um you know so you know little bits you know like in stars are falling and and in the artwork but yeah that's what the third secret's about and then, and then the one song that Kendall wrote on there called Fatima. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you guys listen to that. That's it's a very different song, but it's I think it's probably like one of the coolest tracks. It is just an amazing. That song. really is. And and can you hear me? Is another a, a song yeah. that I like a, a yeah, lot. Yeah, that's a great song record. too. So yeah, so that's kind of the whole you know thing. I, I it's. I'm not going to say it's a concept album, but it is a little bit, but, but, but it's not like every single song, you know what I mean? But that's kind of the general concept of that record, and that was kind of all Ken's idea. So if we could just talk a little bit about the current lineup and uh, new material. Uh, we spoke a, a drop about it off the record before we went on about sure. your, your new singer, uh, Ethan, the, the lead guitar player, who Mark and I are both familiar with. We actually saw him open up for Jolyn Turner about four or five years ago and were blown away of what a great player he was. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's really good. So, you know, how those guys came into the band, um, we, uh, after the record, shortly after the record was released in, you know, was released in the fall of 2018, um, and, you know, kind of upon that, we scheduled to headline another festival in February, um, in Germany. And, um, and then Kendall quit, um, right about this time in 2018, basically about a month and a half before that show. So, 
we were originally going to go over as a four piece. Um, so Kendall, Kendall, uh, left the band. So that means we had to, you know, find a singer and a guitar player. So, um, you know, so we, you know, kind of put the word out and, uh, you know, got audition tapes, you know, from various people around the, uh, the country. And, uh, and, uh, you know, yeah, Ethan was, um, you know, one of them. And, and I had, I didn't know Ethan, but I knew of him because he was in this band angels of Babylon with, a. Uh, with Dave Elson from Megadeth. Um, and I had kind of been familiar following some of his work. So I was like, yeah, yeah, this is the guy. I think that was, was that um, Rob Rock's band? Uh, Angels of Avalon? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Um, Dave was in the band and then Elson. And then there was a singer named Dave Feefolt was also. Okay. That's who I'm thinking of. Uh, Rob Dave Rock, Fiefold. Dave Feefolt. Yeah. That's who I yeah. was thinking of. Yeah. yeah Dave Feefolt. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, so, you know, so, you know, Ethan, so that was kind of, you know, a no brainer, you know, bringing Ethan in. And then as far as the singer, Steve Carlson, that was um, he was that was. Well, the funny thing is, is that like I've known Steve for probably like 35 years um, uh, coming from Seattle. Um, Steve used to, you know, because we played a lot of us played in, you know, club bands Um and Steve was kind of like the king of of the club band circuit back in the 80s. And so I never really knew him. Um, and he had relocated to Phoenix. Well, um, there was a, a radio DJ, this guy, Mike Dobby, um, down in uh, Tucson, who's, who's buddies with Ken. And, and Mike's the one that recommended uh, Steve. And Steve had been, Steve, was doing some like uh tribute uh bands um and ken went out and saw him and he said hey the guy is really good so um ken brought him into the studio and and you know laid had him sing to some of the old songs and uh and he just sounded great so that that's kind of how we found those two guys they had about a month to prepare for that headlining show um so it was it was a lot wow he's got really good stage presence because the the vid some of the videos are up on uh, youtube and yeah uh, I, I was impressed by him as a front man yeah he's a really good front man but you know that's what he's been he's been doing that for you know all his life right so um yeah and i like his voice for the for the band too yeah it's it's good and and it's i would it's not Ted and it's not Kendall, um, but it's uh, well. I mean, you'll have to judge when you hear, you know, the next record because obviously Steve is is. Uh, but he's. I can tell you, um, and again, you know, we didn't know what he would sound like, you know, recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously he did a great job for us live, but the, you know, the, the the true test is, you know, how do how how do they do in the studio? And I can tell you on on some of the new songs that we're working on, he sounds amazing. He sounds really good. I'm excited to hear this because I like yeah. this lineup. I, I like the fact that you, Ken, Mary, and Archer are, are in place. And I think you you got a, a young shredder guitar player who plays with a lot of melody. And I like the front man because what I've seen of him on YouTube 
he sounds good and he's a terrific front man and he seems like he's really into it. Oh yeah. He, he, he loves it. And he's, he's like the easiest going, he's like, whatever he does. You just you guys just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. That's great. You know, there, there's, there's no, uh, you know, lead singer disease. With, uh, <laughs> right. Steve. No, that's cool. Cause <laughs> you, you know? have a, you have a background with the guy and, and you, uh, you know mm-hmm. him a long time. So, so what could we expect from this album? Uh, when do you think it'll be out? Um, just tell us a little bit about it without divulging too much. Well, I would say that, you know, we're probably about maybe halfway into production. You know, we got probably about half a dozen songs that are, you know, almost finished. We've, we have sent three, um, over to Yop at, at the label and he loves them. And then, uh, Ken's kind of preparing four more, um, which he'll send over, um, you know, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Um, so, you know, we're getting there, you know, with, with all, uh, you know, with, with just the state of COVID and the pandemic and everything, it's just, uh, you know, we're not moving as fast as we would like, but, um, you know, we're kind of hoping to have it, the whole thing done by the end of this year. Well, obviously that's not going to happen. So, It'll definitely be released next year sometime. Right? Yeah, I'm guessing they want to get you over to Europe to play some shows in a summit that time. Well, yeah. Well, who knows? I mean, who knows? Oh, I know. Yeah, who you knows know, what's going to happen? Right, everything. everything is so up in the air right now. Who knows if any of that is even going to happen? And I don't. And the other issue is is again because of the pandemic. Um, vinyl production is like way behind. I mean, you're, we're, we're talking like seven, six, seven months. Right. Yeah, I've heard from that. The time, from the time that you place the order. Um, and, and for us, vinyl is, is, you know, a, a, a crucial part of our marketing campaign because, you know, the majority of our fan base, they want vinyl. Hmm. I mean, you know, we can always do like a digital, a digi pack, um, you know, release, but um, just don't let Amazon put out those CDRs uh, like they did of the last record. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right. They screwed up a bunch of those, didn't they? Oh boy, and I yeah. was one. I was one <laughs> of the. I they were. The, it was the first place that offered the new record at the time on uh, in, in the American market, so I jumped on it. And unbeknownst to me, I already saw people posting on Facebook and on all these, they're CDRs, they're not sil- silver press CDs. And then there was the whole thing that the silver press CDs were, were out in Europe, but Amazon was mass producing CDRs. And yeah, it was- I don't know how all of that happened. I don't know how all that worked, but I, you know, I think uh, the people at Nuclear Blast put an end to that. Yeah. So I, I I don't know. I mean, we're hoping for a early summer release, but who knows, you know, with, with the way things are. And, and I'm not sure when, you know, when it's going to be, when we're actually, when we actually deliver the masters, you know, to the label. Right. Um, I mean, and at this point, especially with, 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 you know, because with, with the way things are happening over Europe, you know, I'm not sure that there's any big rush. Um, right. you know, six months ago we were thinking, oh, you know, it's, it, it's all going to be, you know, blow over by next year. And 
and it's not. Right. Here we are going into 2022, and it's still going. It's like we're going round in circles here. Right. Seems to be that's the way it's designed. (laughs) (laughs) We're not getting too too deep into that whole thing, but yeah. Right. Last, you know, few four months ago, I was like really hopeful that we would be out touring by next summer. Now I'm beginning to like, eh, I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being optimistic. I'm, I, I, I am very happy to hear that this lineup is intact because I, I, I like it a lot, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that there's new music coming. So I will be patient. <laughs> Well, and at this point, it's like, why rush it? You know, Absolutely. I, would, I would rather make sure that, uh, you know, that every song is is strong, just just like on, you know, on the past three albums. Um, you know, we are not going to, you know, just so we can get out there and tour, we are not going to sacrifice or never will um, the quality of our music. Right. And that, you know, and that's why. You know, we haven't released, we haven't made a lot of records, but they're all really good. Well, that's the thing now. That now with three, there really is a legacy of this band of, uh, you know, like a, a immaculate record. So you don't right. want to, uh, you don't want to disrupt that at this stage. Anymore. No, no, not at all. So no. you're gonna like it. You're, you're gonna like it. it you know, um, again, you know, there's gonna be, um, there'll be, you know, some. You know what you would call is like a you know uh, called Fifth Angel, you know song that's going to sound more like the other album, mm-hmm. and then you're going to hear some songs that are going to be a little more progressive, you know, and I think you know I think every band you there there has to be some evolution. You have to evolve as artists and musicians, um, yet still trying to retain that sound. Um, but, um, you know, like some of the stuff that Ken is writing is, I mean, it's really cool. Um, I have quite a, uh, this will be the first album where I have like more than one song. Um, I will probably have at least four of my um, song ideas, nice. maybe five. Um, and um, so, you know, I'm a little bit more of a progressive you know, composer, and so is Ken. Um, and uh, so there's going to be some some pretty heavy, dark um, stuff. Interesting. It's, you know, <laughs> it's going to be cool. Well, and- Ken Mary is a guy that has been on so many different albums and been so many different bands, and he's such such a great player. Uh, I, I could imagine the amount of things he could bring to the table as as a songwriter with with all the different bands and projects he's been involved with over the last 30 some odd years he brings everything to the table that's what i figured he's he's one of those guys he does it all you know he's a obviously he's a world-class drummer but um, he's actually a good singer too yeah 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 he's not bad (laughs) yeah i've heard him on some things you know he had a couple of projects out in the 90s more more like alternative he's sounding but yeah. he could sing no, i'm not yeah, saying he you know he's, he's doesn't sound good, yeah he's a good singer. yeah he could um, sing you know, um he can sing and that obviously helps in the uh, in the songwriting process so but but yeah he is a really good songwriter and you know he writes really cool music and he writes really great lyrics um so he you know he's just 
he's just super talented. And, and of course, you know, he produces, you know, the records. Um, he produced the third secret and he's producing this one. Um, yeah, he does it all. He's, he's amazing. Great. Well, John, you know what? We, we Tom and I really appreciate the talk tonight. Um, we've got a little bit it's going over our time here. We don't want to keep you all night. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we do appreciate the talk, and we're really glad. Everybody should uh, check out, of course, the, the, new, well, the newest album, The Third Secret, from 2018, but also look forward to uh, some brand-new material in 2022 from Fifth Angel. And uh, thanks again, John. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. John, it was, a, it was a blast. I really appreciate it. Uh, you've been involved with one of my favorite bands of all times, and it was a great uh, great evening chatting with you. Anytime. Anytime. Okay. Take care, brother. Thank you, John. All right. Good night. Good night.